Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings on RTE Radio. This week our podcast is brought to you in association with Schneider Electric and we'll be finding out later how they are helping cut back on huge data centre energy costs. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 921. I'm joined as always by our Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Niall strikes me as an angry young man this week because the uh, the first news story we're going to talk about is Sheryl Sandberg, of course, leaving Meta stroke Facebook. Um, but Niall has in his notes, after destroying democracy, Sheryl Sandberg is leaving. Explain yourself. I've had my fun. I'm out of here. <laughs> um, yeah, joined Facebook in what? It was 2008. I think so, uh, yeah. Four, four years after the company was founded and she was yep. entrusted with um, developing the revenue model and the ad model um, and the, I suppose, curation and personalization model that uh, mm-hmm. we're familiar with, with Meta. Uh, yeah. Basically, how to create your own filter bubble and never be challenged about anything and always think you're right and be sold things that uh, are possibly quite relevant to you, but maybe not great for anyone else. Um, so yeah, I mean, she, she was a, a massive, a person with a massive cultural impact. You might remember she wrote a book called Lean In, uh, which she called a sort of a feminist manifesto. To me, yeah. it sounds a little bit like The Secret. Do you, do you remember that book, The Secret? It's like, you can have everything you want if you really want it. I think that's that's kind of the message of that. Don't knock it. It's true. Are you a believer in the secret? You see, I'm a believer and you're not. This is very interesting. (laughs) In (laughs) general. This this could lead into pints later, but it won't. Anyway, Sheryl Sandberg, (laughs) why did she destroy democracy? Is because uh, she was instrumental in helping Facebook kind of just create this kind of little little bubble of a world that reflected all of your beliefs. And then suddenly you think that everybody is a neo-whatever. Yeah, it's it's a sort of um, the the crisis of personalization, mm. uh, which we sort of have grown used to through uh, through cookies and having personalized adverts travel with us around the web, uh, which is quite disconcerting to a lot of people. However, if you are sitting within what you think is a walled garden where you're seeing things that are specifically personal to you, it means you don't you don't ever have to. Uh, be exposed to um, ideas or opinions that aren't yours, um, and you know the personalization model is is there. Um, but it got to the stage where you had during the twenty sixteen election, you had content farms writing deliberately fake material that went onto uh, onto Facebook without mm. being vetted, and you had kids out in Eastern Europe being paid vast amounts of money because of the click-through rates on these things, because you were telling people exactly what they, what they wanted to hear, regardless of whether it was true or not. And this has landed social media in general, really within the quandary of are we, are we platforms or publishers, which of course is section 230 uh, of the, was it the Indecent Communications Act in the States, mm-hmm. which, uh, which created that. So this is sort of all hand, ha- happened under Sandberg's watch. And she has uh, as good as admitted that, yeah, it's a problem that we've had. We haven't solved it yet. Um, does the market believe that, you know, Sandberg leaving is a, is a big deal? Yes. Shares in Facebook are down. 
four uh, percent overnight, they would probably uh, rebound because the her successor has already been uh, been named. It is the current chief growth officer, Javi mm. Oliva. Um, so I guess there's a nice bit of continuity in there. I suppose we're going to learn a little bit more about the difference between growth and profitability. Um, growth, of course, being about getting people inside, profitability being about actually making money off them. Uh, I yeah. think years and years ago, we did uh, we did a thing on how much is the average user worth to Facebook. Hmm. I think at the time we said it was like $120. Okay. Which I think is ridiculous. I mean, there's no way the average Facebook user is worth $150. No, uh, $120. There's no way. Um, I mean, you look at... Uh, between Meta's uh, various apps, it's 2.8 billion people uh, use Meta's apps. Now, that's, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, and WhatsApp all linked in together. Um, and their, sort of their earnings were, they actually missed Target earlier this year. Um, I think it was $400 million they missed Target by. A lot of money. Uh, but still, it was kind of, yeah, we'll, we'll make it back because, mm. the, because the users... Uh, actually continue to grow. But that's finite. There are only so many people you can get in to your walled garden, uh, let alone competitors like TikTok uh, or whatever. Who uh, I think the growing perception is that Facebook is sort of the social network of choice for your grandparents now. Uh, true, but let's move away from just just about Facebook. All right, uh, Cheryl Sandberg mm-hmm. is the uh, is the topic of conversation. Uh, I would yeah. I, 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 you're you're happy to see her go. Um, I think yeah. Cheryl, now, and I would agree with an awful lot of the things that you say. And Facebook in general is evil, and because she was the second one in charge after uh, Mark Zuckerberg, she would obviously have had a huge hand in it. However, I also think that Cheryl Sandberg is actually probably the one that made Facebook uh, what it is financially. Yeah. Because she came in, her job was to monetize it. And oh my God, did she monetize it. Um, so I've hands down, an amazing job that uh, she did there. Uh, and then also, I think she serves as a terrific role model. You were slagging The Secret, which I think is an excellent book. And I really believe in it, is that, you know, if you do want something uh, in the world, it's already there, but you have to work and you have to go and get it. And, uh, um, uh, and even if you don't get it, you're going to get at least halfway there which is better than nothing. Um, but mm. with Sheryl Sandberg, she went to the very, 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 very top. She created the top in a lot of ways. She created the top. I mean, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, and, and then the third reason is, um, and I hate kind of doing this because in my head it's sexist, but I, I think she's a terrific role model uh, to show uh, women everywhere, you know, because they talk about the glass ceiling and I hate the glass ceiling and I hate this non-parity of, of, of salaries and stuff like that as well. It really bugs me. Uh, I think she has gone and shown, hey, no, you can do it. All right. So for all of those reasons, I think uh, fair play, Cheryl Sandberg. What she's going to do now is she's going to move on and she's going to be another, you know, kind of, um, uh, oh, my God, I'm terrible head for names, as as you know, Bill Gates. From it's going to be Microsoft. another Bill Gates. Yeah, exactly. And she's going to devote her life to uh, philanthropy, which I think is fantastic. Many, many people who have made billions do go on to help their fellow human beings for the remainder of their life, which I think is fantastic. Many of them don't. So uh, and I think side. there's a few out there that we know for a fact won't. <laughs> well, we won't. <laughs> now listen, speaking of billionaires, <laughs> Elon Musk. Yay! Yay! Elon Musk is now going for the Employer of the Year award. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I in my notes that I put together for this show, you you quite like this and I think we should repeat it. 
Um, he is basically, when it comes to remote working, he has told executives, get in the office or get up the yard. Get That's up it. the yard now. <laughs> That's it. You've, you, you, is, you've is got to come right back into the office. Is he wrong? Um, I think over the last few months, we are learning that Elon Musk has serious control issues. Oh, yeah. If he, if he hears something he doesn't like, he's going to buy the platform. Mm. If he sees something he doesn't like, if he can't see someone, he can't manage them. He can't manage them. He can't control them. So regardless mm. of the quality of their work, he wants to see you and he wants to be able to look over your shoulder regardless of what you're doing, regardless of the value of your work. Now, yeah. he at one stage, he was uh, living in the Tesla factory to try and keep productivity up. Um, mm. I don't know where he's living at the moment. I doubt he's still living in a factory. But, you know, his belief in his product is absolute. I actually don't think he lives anywhere. Do you think he's a he he's a wanderer? As in, he has no he has no fixed house. He's he's traveling so much. Here's an interesting. I watched a documentary about the Duke of Edinburgh, uh, the Queen's uh, husband, and uh, when he was growing up, he was uh, aristocracy. He was a prince and da, 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 mm. whatever. But he lived uh, part of his time in Scotland. He lived part of his time, I think, in in, in Europe somewhere. Part of his time in in, in Greece. Da, da da Whenever he would go anywhere to sign into a hotel, and they'd ask for his address, he'd always write no fixed abode. <laughs> Wow. Because he didn't actually live anywhere specific. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Anyway, do you know I what? Think, uh, that, what? Is, that is actually kind of the economy that we're looking for. We're looking to move away from an ownership economy just towards things that you need in the here and now. But anyway, that's a, that's a um, sort mm. of a discussion topic for another week, which I'm sure I, we'll, I think we'll Elon Musk is going to have a battle on his hand with his own employees uh, by telling him to get into the house, get up the yard, because I think they will just say, all right, I'm up the yard, see you. Well, yes, when you consider that remote working options is becoming a deal breaker mm. in a sector that is talent poor, if you are able to go, okay, well, I've actually got a pretty good job over here that I can take. I, I like Tesla, believe in Tesla, like the mission, like the product, but you know what? My skills are better recognized over here. I'm gone. Thanks very much. I don't, it's not, it's not down to my skills are better recognized over here. It's that this is better for me. I can work from home working with that enterprise. Work at Tesla, I need to go into the office. I prefer to work from home or do a mixture. And nobody's going to tell yeah. me to go into the office. You know, it's kind of, it's a, it's interesting how it goes. Uh, last last one on our list uh, today before we get into our interview this week is Tamagotchi Kids. Oh my God, you're going back. Tamagotchi babies. You, you remember Tamagotchis. I, I, you know, I was too old to actually own one. So were you. I was, I was, of course I was, yeah. But I remember the kids having them. And then I was, I was of an age of, what? Okay, I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, but it's essentially a pretty it's, good way of... It was like a little electronic gadget and it, it acted like yeah. a baby, wasn't it? So that it, w it would wake yeah. you up at three in the morning with a little alarm thing crying or something like that. And you had to do I, I this, can't this, remember this, the ins and outs of Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, what about... Yeah, it was a little egg-shaped thing with a with a, an LCD screen on it. And every so often, you it had three buttons underneath. And every so often, you had to press a button in order for it to stay alive and uh, I think people got bored of them uh, fairly quickly because you know parenting is hard let alone mm. having to parent something that doesn't actually exist but it looks like in the future with the incoming metaverse we will have digital kids digital babies um, that you know we will have to treat you know we will have to devote uh, time and energy to 
However, it won't they won't cost anything to raise in the in the way that you know kids these days cost money. They won't take up mm. space in the way that kids these days take up space. I mean, if if you really have this sort of a particular kind of longing where you're only interested in the first two to three years of a person's mm. life, um, maybe this is the solution for you. I don't know. Um, so this is kind of the idea that in the same way we will have, you know, a digital self and avatar uh, in the metaverse, that we will have things that we don't have in the real world. And a child could be could be one of them. Um, now, I think this is really interesting because at what point do you, do you turn it off? At what point do you go, okay, that's fine. Uh, the concept has been proven. Or will you find yourself becoming, you know, attached in a kind of uncanny valley kind of a way that you actually do want to hang on to the kid, which will probably be available on a subscription basis. So you might want to go, okay, let's, let's keep going. And maybe the technology becomes more, um, uh, advanced as you go along. So you'll get a, a, an email going now available in three years of age, <laughs> now available at preschool, all, all these sorts of, uh, um, upgrades, if you will. I don't know, Dusty, you've been through the parenting mill. Would you want a virtual one? Well, th- th- I was just thinking that no. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> But there are a lot of people in the world who would love to have kids and never did. Um, there are mm. people in the world who did have kids and and they miss them or whatever. There's kind of something about a, a human connection. And it's I'm thinking immediately, all right, of people who have pets in their house. Okay. Yeah. It's it's something, it's another entity that you need to think about or that will give you some feedback. All right. That's that's what a mm. pet is, all right? The same thing with a smart speaker, okay? Because you can speak to that and if you did it often enough, you're getting another voice communicating back with you on, so even if it's only mm. telling you the weather or the time or whatever it happens to be. Um, and I think this is just kind of, it's an interesting thought that you might have something like that in the metaverse because the metaverse is all supposed to be a projection of how we would see our ideal selves, that we mm. would look better. Uh, that we would have yeah. more money or maybe we drive a better car in the metaverse than we do in real life. And for quite a lot of people, perhaps that is maybe I've got kids. So it sounds crazy, but you know what? I can actually kind of uh, see it happening. And we've, we've had examples of this. With, with, was the movie called Her, was it? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah. Was, that was a movie, but only very recently we had a story where a guy was falling in love with his uh, his artificial yeah. intelligence on his smart speaker. Yeah. And he went, whoa, what a chatbot, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, so it sounds mad, but absolutely, I think, could be a thing. I think the technology uh, will will evolve. We'll probably get there technically, but mm. I think the, the emotional impact on people could be tremendously negative. You think it's negative? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because you're it's 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 not real. Like I mean, we we have a cat here that that we love and cherish and that thinks very little of us in return, but you know, she's cat. Um and she's here and she's tactile and she has demands and needs that we can't mm. turn off. Mm. Um, which can be incredibly inconvenient. Um, and then sometimes she hops up on our on our lap and rubs her nose against us, which is which uh, is most gratifying. Go. You're putting it out there as, oh, we have a cat. You have a cat that you love and adore, all right? And that cat is as close to a kid as, uh, as, as, as uh, in, in, in real life as might exist. Am I right? 
Yes, look, yeah. he's smiling yeah. and everything. Well, no he's comment. Got all no comment. No, no comment. He's saying, I'm a man. I'll never give in. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never see emotion from me ever. <laughs> anyway, listen, let's leave it at that there for this week. That's the news. Do remember you get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more at our website, techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. With energy costs coming to the forefront of our minds in recent months and years, data centres have become literally a hot topic of conversation for the amount of electricity that they consume here in Ireland. But why do we have so many of these data centres and how do we balance innovation with environmental concerns? This week, Niall Kitson sat down with Mark Garner, who is the VP Secure Power Division at Schneider Electric UK and Ireland to talk about getting that mix just right. Data centres, it seems to be a, a, a very emotive topic at the moment, uh, largely because there seems to be so many of them in Ireland at the moment. I think we've got 70 and uh, depending on who you ask, I think there's plans to bring it up to a, up to 100. So why is Ireland so beset with data centres? Why do we have so many of them? I think it's uh, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, the, the data data center market over in Ireland is um, is a is a fantastic one to be involved in. Uh, to start off with, um, CBRE's research um, uh, recently uh, detailed that Dublin is the second largest data center market in the whole of Europe. Um, you're right, the, the number of data centers have continued to grow. Um, there's from a hyperscale point of view, uh, you've got the the, um, uh, the the internet giants that position themselves over in Ireland, as well as the colo market, which is uh, which is growing at a rapid pace as well. Um, the why? Uh, well, I, I think a lot of it is down to the uh, the connectivity, the, um, uh, the the fiber fiber networks going into Ireland, the fiber ring around Dublin makes it such an attractive place in terms of availability of power. Um, and then the availability of, uh, of, uh, of, of fiber network. The other piece that, that, that really, I think, brings it all together is that connection uh, between the, uh, uh, the, the American industry and uh, an island in itself. Um, you look beyond the data center market and finance and life science industry, all hugely reliant on on data and, and data supply, they couple very well together. And life science is a huge industry in the, in Ireland in itself, uh, and that that connection really really helps to uh, to help drive the market. So that's a really interesting point about connectivity because it, it seems to be a, a, an eternally controversial subject a, a, across the world. Really, that you know the the fiber. Uh, isn't keeping up with the demand. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly domestically, we worry that, you know, we're getting up to gigabit connections into our homes. And there seems to be an awful lot of spare capacity there because we don't seem to have the applications to actually make best use of that connectivity. So it's very interesting to hear that Ireland ranks so highly uh, in Europe uh, in this. Do you think that's an ongoing conversation with government, or do you think this is something industry has very much taken up upon itself and gone, you know, 
um, metropolitan Wi-Fi or, you know, uh, industry driven networks like, you, you know, the likes of your Vodafone or whatever. They're fine. But look, we, we need better. We need to be driving these sort of developments ourselves. I, I think it's a combination of both. Um, the the industry and data center industry will, will really only survive uh, and, and, and thrive. Uh, sorry, thrive is probably the best way to put it rather than survive in that it's going to thrive on the back of collaboration. And it, it is bringing in all these different topics around um, uh, the, the the, the very high level of the connectivity required to, to support a data center and what we need as a, a, a base level in our in our homes. Um, how do we invest in the infrastructure really to make sure that uh, we have the, the support um, for, for both both aspects? And that that feeds us, I guess, nicely into the power conversation and and some of the reports that we're seeing through around um, from the CRU and the, the challenges that we have around uh, power availability and resilience of the grid network. Um, they, they feed in together and the only way we're going to address them is through collaboration. I think that point on collaboration is so important because uh, you mentioned that uh, Commission for the Regulation of Utilities, which came out last November, and uh, it made... Uh, I know for some people fairly stark reading because it really put into perspective um, the impact of data centres on the national grid. Uh, it's estimated that by 2028, uh, almost 30% of, mm-hmm. uh, of power in Ireland could be taken up by data centres. Quite a startling statistic. Is this something that has crept up um, on you at Schneider or is this been something of a trend that you've been looking at and going, yeah, this has been happening over time and we need to put in place solutions that will make sure data centers run uninterrupted without putting undue pressure on the national grid, which just wasn't built for this kind of load? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Schneider Electric have been on a, um, a sustainability journey now for the last 15, 20 years. And um, a, a huge amount of focus has been not just on the, um, the, the availability of power and, and how we use that power, uh, power differently and generate power differently, but also around the efficiency uh, in terms of how we use, use the power. Uh, a, a couple of stats for you. So, um, and, Stats are always there to be challenged, I guess. But in, in total, data centers are predicted to account for around about 2% of global electricity consumption. In Ireland, it's slightly different due to the volume of data centers. That it's around about 11% of electricity supply, but only about 2%, just less than 2% of the carbon emissions nationally are produced by the data center industry. So there's huge strides that's been made forward by the industry over the last 10, 15, 20 years to, to create a more uh, sustainable environment within the, uh, within the industry as a whole. One of the challenges, I suppose, uh, in looking at things is that uh, we've learned from the uh, Commission for the Regulation of Utilities report that up to 30% of the power generated in Ireland can end up going towards data centres by 2028. So what kind of uh, challenges does that present to Schneider from the perspective of managing the impact that has on the grid uh, and maybe working with data centre providers to find uh, solutions, uh, especially seeing as this is going to be an expanding sector? 
it's uh, it's a great question and um, and one that uh, personally I see as a as an opportunity. Um, uh, the Schneider have been on a, a path to sustainability for for nearly twenty years now, and investing in uh, in infrastructure to to allow us to uh, to become a more sustainable business for for ourselves, but also for our customers. Um, if you look at the where we can where we can help. Um, Management and su- support of, of grid generation and getting that power from uh, the grid to the um, uh, to the to the facility is is one aspect of it, but also there's the the usage of the power once uh, once it's in the facility and how do we drive more efficient usage of that uh, of that power. Um, the, the, the Irish industry as a whole is is a, a particularly for data centres is a really interesting one. When when you look at global electricity consumption from data centres, we're, we're looking at somewhere around about two percent of of all electricity consumed uh, being attributed to to that industry. In Ireland, it's slightly different. Uh, Ireland, the the data centres because of the density that we see there, they're consuming. The prediction is somewhere around about eleven percent of electricity supply, but the counteract to that is that only around about 1.85% of carbon emissions that are generated nationally can be attributed to the data center industry. So the the industry as a whole has already made great strides in terms of how they uh, implement a lot of these efficient um, uh, uh, solutions and how they uh, how they start to use power in a more efficient way and uh, with which is less harmful to the environment. Part of that, I suppose, is improving awareness of the technologies that are out there. When one thinks about sustainable energy, one thinks immediately of wind farms, which are particularly uh, prevalent in Ireland. Which sources of sustainable energy have you found to be particularly effective out there or, or indeed ineffective when you look at the amount of infrastructure required to actually deliver them? Yeah, it, it's uh, th- this is where I, I think um, diving into the the CRU consultation is um, is really interesting. Um, so the increase in data center connections compared to other sectors, uh, ultimately the, the the consultation found that um, the supply, uh, the security of supply, and the financial risk um, uh, for the energy consumers increased through. Um, through, uh, through the data centre um, uh, industry uh, and the growth of the data centre industry over in Ireland. The, the, the output from the report was some of these key connection measures um, and AirGrid and ESB networks are prioritising the processing of the, the data centre applications based on a number of criteria. And I think when you start to look at that criteria, then um, it starts to, to answer some of, the, uh, some of the question that you have there now. The location of each data centre applicant is really important. Are they within a constrained or unconstrained region of the electricity system? Uh, the ability of the, the data centre applicant, the, the builder and the operator, to bring on-site dispatchable generation or storage, um, is which is equal or greater to, to their demand, is one of the criteria that was identified on the back of it. Um, and then when you have that that on-site demand generation, uh, whether it be wind, solar, um, uh, generators uh, on-site, uh, or or battery storage, then when you have that, one of the key aspects is 
are you able to reduce your consumption, move to renewable sources um, at times where uh, the system is in under constraint or there is a challenge around security supply? And that 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 aspect of it, the 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 intelligence of a grid to be able to say, we've got power coming in from the grid at this point. We're going to move to renewable sources at this point because um, the sun's shining, the wind's blowing, whatever it may be, um, and we have that other option to move on to uh, onto on-site generation. An intelligence within the grid is critical within that uh, within that infrastructure. Um, and I think this is where Schneider Electric can really play uh, really play a part in this. Smart grid management, being able to uh, build artificial intelligence into an infrastructure that allows that, that control um, means that the data center industry in Ireland can really become a world leader in developing a smart, intelligent grid infrastructure, which is led by the data center industry. So what you're envisaging at the moment is a, a situation where you will perhaps be able to divert power that's not being used in the national grid at certain points, store it, and then make use of it at peak times within the data center, um, as opposed to having um, what you might regard as a consistent drain on resources with intermittent spikes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's... Um it's interesting. So there are times um, where uh, the uh, the wind farm is generating above, uh, for example, I'll use wind farm as an example. The ge- uh, generates above the um, uh, the the requirements of the uh, of the of the market, um, and the, the opportunity there is then to divert the additional the the what we don't what we don't need at the point of generation into a storage infrastructure. And then manage that power, gen- uh, the, the power that's been generated, to release back into um, the grid at a time when, uh, when, when there is high consumption. And I think this is one of the big challenges that, that we see going forward. That um, we know there are times when everyone comes back from work and they all make dinner and you know at the timing of our uh, of our life, uh, lifestyles are, uh, are fairly regular in that busy at, up, up until nine o'clock you've got the work hours all the way through the day come back and everyone's bathing the kids and and everything else that the, the power use is is fairly consistent in there in the evenings for example uh, where the sun hasn't been where the sun isn't shining could you store the power from the day release it back into the grid in the uh, back into your, your facility on the on the evening, uh, and power your uh, your your data center uh, through um, through the energy you've stored through the day. But that requires a uh, intelligent infrastructure to be able to do that, and uh, and an infrastructure that's um, require uh, requ- that has a huge requirement on data as well. Uh, so data center as a as an industry has a big role to play, not just in the enablement of a smart grid, um, but then in the application of it as well. What you're talking about there sort of speaks to kind of the uh, our lifestyle, our working uh, lives, the trends that uh, we've seen over the last few years, particularly with so many companies 
moving to the cloud for the first time is generating uh, additional demands on data centers. So mm-hmm. what can we actually do either as companies or individuals to promote sort of better data hygiene to make sure that we're only using the resources we need? Or is the problem so vast that it kind of doesn't really matter what you do, that it's up to the data center operator to come up with their own power supplies from from scratch, basically? Everyone has to own the problem, in in, in my view here. Um, But you look at everything that's happened over the last couple of years and and how reliant we are today on uh, on on, power, on data uh, data and uh, everything that powers that uh, you know you 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 can't order something on uh, uh, on an online application and um, immediately you go onto another website where where you can order it um, with a um, a very uh, reactive and uh, now um, in the moment uh, population, and uh, and that's that's part of the challenge that we've built. You know, data center uh, data centers became critical infrastructure uh, over the last uh, last couple of years on a par with the grid. If your your access to data goes down, then uh, same as the access to power, um, you you feel fairly lost on the uh, on the back of it. And I think that's, that's that's part of the challenge. You know, the the the, the data center industry is here to stay. Um, the 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 world doesn't operate very well if we don't have access to all the infrastructure that it supplies us. So part of it is the the operators uh, uh, need to to be more efficient in terms of how we uh, use the the power and uh, and and then supply that 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 data back into the world. From our own point of view, uh, it, it's, it's difficult to difficult to challenge it because so much of our day is required around um, uh, around access to your phone, listening to a podcast, uh, you know, working day to day on Teams or, or whatever it may be. So it, it's 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 challenging to um, uh, to find a way to uh, to counteract it. I, I think one thing I, I think that's really important to say is. It, and I think it's a really, really important factor is is this change in some of the narrative around uh, around data centres um, and this view that they can be a negative aspect on the on the world. Uh, for Ireland itself, um, the IDA uh, produced a report, um, I think it was last year, saying that the ICT industry, of which data centres are the beating heart, employ. 37,000 people in Ireland and generate 35 billion of exports annually. It's a huge, huge business in its own right. And then the the, the support of, of being able to um, uh, support day-to-day operations in the life science industry, in in transportation and everything else, um, they're, they're critical infrastructure to make sure that uh, our days run the way our days want them to, uh, want to be run. Lastly, one of the big topics of the last few months has been energy security and people becoming much more aware of where their energy is coming from. Where do you see the data center industry moving forward on this? Is is sort of the utopian view that of the completely self-sustaining data center where you effectively have microgrids operating independently of the national energy grid? 
I think the utopian view is is probably that yes. Um, whether we we ultimately get to that that level is uh, is probably probably more of a challenge. Uh, I think the the data center industry uh, has a huge huge role to play in uh, play in that um, uh, that aspect though. So Ireland had a target to to get to forty percent of renewable energy sources. Um, uh, by 2020 and delivered 43 percent uh from 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 renewables in in 2020 they've increased that uh that uh, that projection and where they want to get to the ambition from uh, renewable energy sources uh generation from 70 percent to 80 percent by 2030. if you look at aspects like amazon are a really good example um they've got developments in cork and donegal where they're delivering power expected to generate around about 91 megawatts uh, of power through renewable sources. And that step forward is really going to, um, uh, as, as we start to invest in more solar, more wind farm, to be able to support the, uh, the data centers, that's, uh, that's going to be a huge jump forward for us um, as, a, uh, as an industry and, and for Ireland because you start to learn from that uh, activity and uh, and what's put in place. Equally, the the grid infra infrastructure, the smart grid. As you start to work this out in pockets and uh, a campus, a data center campus, for example, uh, starts to operate on a uh, on a smart grid, and you reduce that uh, that that can uh, that that reliance on the grid uh, down through that through that infrastructure. Learnings from that can then start to be deployed in other industries that so will help us move forward and step forward um, uh, significantly as a as a uh, as a country and and also um, uh, I guess globally from a, a sustainable activity. The other aspect which is which is interesting and this is an area where I, I strong but strongly believe Schneider Electric can can really support this industry is. Um, the, the usage of energy when it gets into a, into a data center. Uh, so in an ideal world, uh, for every unit of en energy that goes in, that unit would be used completely in terms of the operation. There'd be no wastage. Um, we're not quite there yet. We're around about 1.5 PUE as an example, um, uh, 1.57 as, as an average. Um, how how can we as an industry and how can we as Schneider Electric help the operators start to get down to uh, down to a uh, a more one on one uh, level uh, in terms of uh, in terms of that energy usage uh, and I think this is where uh, things like smart grid, uh, liquid cooling, new technologies being brought into the market, new efficient uh, more energy efficient technologies coming into the market. We need to look at deploying those from a modernization aspect as well. We've got lots of infrastructure that's out there that um, are older, aging, um, and we can look, start to look at those to see how can we drive those into a more efficient model as well as um, the new build infrastructure that's coming online. And that was Mark Garner from Schneider Electric UK and Ireland. And if you'd like to find out more about what they do, you can visit their website at www.se.com forward slash IE. That uh, website, of course, in the show notes on your podcast player right now. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or of course listen to us each week online or on Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. 
Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, as always, thank you for listening and have a fantastic bank holiday weekend. Cheers. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.